They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks it in trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What's up, SoundCloud.com? What's up, what's up, what's up? Brotherly Love Podcast in full effect. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita. Johnny, what's up, brother? Not much, my man. Not much. You know, just never, never good to talk about an Eagles loss. It's always a painful feeling. You know, you got to get through the whole entire week for them to get back on the field and uh, get back on the winning side of things. So, you know. Yeah, I absolutely hate Mondays after loss. I forgot what it felt like for three weeks. It was great. Actually, you go back to week 17 of last year, and it had been a while since you had dealt with a Berg's loss. I don't. I wake up Monday morning, and I instantly react to the game. Do you get that? Does that ever happen to you? You like wake up Monday morning, and the first thing, like my eyes open, and I literally think, oh, the Eagles lost yesterday. God damn it. You're 100% correct. I mean, and, it, it's just, and it's disgusting it feeling. You just start reliving. You just yes. start reliving, yes. like the plays, you know, the would s which should have, could have, would have. I mean, we won't get into that, but yeah. uh, <laughs> but no, you're right, buddy. It's it's just because we're such avid fans. I mean, that's the hardest part. You're like, you know, we take it so serious, and all the people in Philadelphia. I mean, we we live. I mean, we bleed green, man. We live and die with this team, and you know, when they don't perform, it's just heartbreaking. And especially when it's one thing if they get their doors blown off. But when you lose a game where you're kind of, you know, there's they should have won that game. They had a, a great opportunity to finish it off, and they just came up short. So, what are you going to do? Eagles are 3-1 and one now after a 24-23 loss in Motown, which has been a house of horrors the last two years now. This is, of course, the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com, iTunes, a bull as well. And, uh, you know, I guess so much so much for my 9-0 and prediction, Johnny Mina. It was a bold one, Joe. A bold one, but uh, and I came up empty. <laughs> ah, what are you gonna do? All right, so the, Eagle, the Eagles lose by a point. A game that they were getting their their butts handed to them in the first half. They came out in the second half and dominated the football game. Put themselves in a spot to win it. Then they didn't get it done. So uh, to me, it, it was penalties. It was missed opportunities. It was more penalties and more missed opportunities. But you were texting me during the game, and and you said the flat start. I expected. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but that's that was what you were thinking. Did, how come coming <laughs> off a bye, you thought the Eagles were going to come out slow in Detroit? Yeah, I just coming off a bye. You haven't played. They were in such a rhythm when they won those three games, especially coming off that such a high from the Pittsburgh game. Yeah. I mean, they couldn't have played any better. You just expected some type of lull. Obviously, you know, some guys, well, only one guy got in trouble uh, during the bye week. That was a little bit of a distraction, but you just felt like this game is, you know, is really rhythm-based as far as, like, you get into the groove. And I just figured in the first half, they would struggle. Now, did I see them struggling going down 21-7? to No. 
But um, you know, they put some things together, and they were able to make some defensive adjustments. And, and, and the second half, it was amazing, Joe. It's just like, especially on the defensive side of the ball, it looks like they just had an injection of speed. I mean, they just were flying around the football, whereas – in the first half, they were just looking extremely lethargic. And the, so, look, the, pa- the pass rush for the Eagles has been like that now for several weeks. I mean, really, all four games they played, the pass rush in the second half. Now, granted, they've had the lead in a lot of those games, forcing their opponent to be one-dimensional. But the pass rush in the second half, the first half, in every game, it's it's been night and day. So I don't know how that gets better. I don't know how you get these guys going a little bit sooner uh, Sunday when they take on the Redskins, but overall just such a di- disappointing finish to a game that, again, they maybe didn't deserve to win through stretches of it, but they put themselves in a spot. They took the lead. They got the ball back for crying out loud. Detroit is burning timeouts. You get one first down, and essentially the football game is over. You get, what was it, seven yards on first down, second and three. You get a token yard on a spot, you know, they barely move the pile, whatever. Third and two. And the toss right to Ryan Matthews. So let's start there with that play. The play call in your mind. And then obviously, you know, Matthews got to hold on to the football. Yeah, Matthews. I mean, the biggest thing that all the analysts that pretty much everybody in America took a look at that football game point out is the fact that he was heading towards the right sideline, but had the ball in his left hand. And it's little football fundamentals. When you're running as a running back, if you go to the sideline, if naturally you're, you know, you carry the ball in your right hand, if you're heading to the left, you should immediately switch it over. He did not do it. You got to give the defensive back credit. He literally stuck his helmet on the ball. So it's not like he kind of just fumbled it on his own accord. It was more like, you know, he hit the ball with the helmet at the perfect position, but totally unacceptable. I did not like the toss play when you're getting two yards uh, as far as a running play goes. To me, that almost seems like the shotgun handoff, which we all know what a huge fan I am of that. <laughs> uh, again, Ryan Matthews, as much as a decent player, and he, he's a good running back, and he, he moves forward. At uh, he He's always moving the pile forward. The thing about him is throughout his entire career, he has had fumble issues. And injury and I problems. Got a bad, I, and injury problems. I just got a bad feeling on his end that – Basically, that you know that he was just going to fumble the football. I would have loved to have seen Darren Sproles was actually kind of running the ball between the tackles because yeah. they can't really see him and running hard a lot better. Yeah, yeah, and and you might question the play call on second and two that they could have designed something better. But all in all, this this coaching staff has done a great job calling plays. But bottom line is, just don't fumble the football there. Very least, you don't get it. Punt it away. Trust your defense. You know, you got one of the best punters in the game, Donnie Jones. You know, if you pin him inside the 10-yard line, you're able to, to just have your defense, you know, then seal the deal for you. The other thing is, and, you know, I hate to bring this up, and this did not cost the Eagles a football game, but the review of that play, it looks like at one point the ball hits Jason Kelsey, and he is clearly stamped like, well, laying out of bounds, which at that point, it's a dead ball. And the ball would remain with the Eagles. But the Pete Morelli's crew, I thought the officiating was horrible. And when I say that, people say, well, you can't blame on You're right. I can't blame on that. But there were several calls missed, several pass interference, some, some holding calls 
that were missed on the first drive when the Eagles were on defense that led to a Detroit touchdown. It, I don't know if you noticed, Joe, but the the penalties in the game were 14-2. to 14-2. to two. Now, I've been around officials, you know, in a different types of games, but I, the discrepancy is 14 penalties to two. I mean, that's pretty atrocious. I'm yeah. sorry. Look, if it was a hockey game, it would have been evened up. You never see a game with seven power plays for one team and five for another. Uh, excuse me, one exactly. for another. You know, there's I always that me. there's always yeah. that mental clock. And so whether it was yeah. the bomb to Aguilar late where he's getting tugged on a bit, could they have thrown a flag? Yeah, obviously yeah. a tough spot late in the game with the team down to, to give him a first down like that. But look, the bottom yeah. line is, you're right, that is such a – the biggest discrepancy in the NFL that, you know, last week and probably for the season right there. So – Certainly some good points by you. I want to bring up one more thing about the third and two play call because the more I digested this game, the more I thought, you know, you part of the reason you have Carson Wentz is for his mobility. And I know you don't want him running. I know you don't want him taking hits. But if Russell Wilson and Camp Newton were on the field, okay, if you had the Panthers and the Seahawks, Newton and Wilson, you're trying, like, I, I have a tough time believing that those coaching staffs with those talents and those quarterbacks, those elite mobile quarterbacks, the ball wouldn't have been in their hands. A rollout a draw, a design run, even a sneak for crying out loud. Even if you get a yard, you just kick it away. You force Detroit to use, again, their timeouts are basically being spent. The two-minute warning's the only way left to stop the clock. The only thing you can't do there is turn the ball over or stop it yourself with an incomplete pass. But to me, Carson Wentz should have had the football in his hands there. He should have been outside the pocket. He should have been able to pick up two yards with his legs. A toss right with nowhere to go for Ryan Matthews. Of course, it's hindsight, but it didn't work out. All right, one other thing for me, Johnny Mita, all right, because this football game... You know, you talk about coming out flat after the bye. Special teams, Donnie or Caleb Sturgis making the uh, the three field goals there, so that was a, a a good sign. Wentz was pretty accurate in the football game, but the wide receivers, all right. Yep. Jordan Matthews was maybe as invisible as he's been all year. Zach Ertz returning the lineup hardly noticed. I didn't have the sound on in the game, so. I didn't, you know, how many plays these guys were playing. Wendell Smallwood didn't step on the field, I don't think. I mean, like, I, I just, just for a minute, though, on the wide receivers, they got to start winning more battles. 50-50 balls, all right? That ball for Aguilar at the end of the game, that's a 50-50 ball. He's got to either come down with it or knock it down. You can't break it up. Uh, yes. Yep. And, and there's too many times now. Look, Doriel Green Beckham's made some nice plays this year. He's had some big catches. He stiff-armed the hell out of that Lions defender. He's had some first downs. He also dropped a touchdown pass. You know, you've got to win some of these battles because in December and January, if you want to be for real, you got to win on the outside. And that was my biggest complaint of this team last year. They got rid of stinking Riley Cooper. They've, they've made some adjustments and some upgrades, I think, at the position. But honestly... You know, Nelson Aguilar still gets pushed around a little bit. Josh Huff is invisible, and they're not winning enough of the 50-50 balls. Carson Wentz is giving these guys a chance to make plays, and they're not doing it consistently enough. And when you play good teams and you get when it matters the most, you got to make those plays. And, you know, just to add to that real quick, you got to talk about separation. None of our receivers get separation. You know, when they're making these are pinpoint throws that Carson Wentz is making, and our receivers literally have maybe a step at best. If not, you know, the lines are draped all over them. So that's another thing. We need that burner. We need that playmaker, a guy that can just stretch the field 
and be a deep threat. But that person's not on the team right now. And and one one final thought for me on the Lions game. Matthew Stafford fumbles that football and you only get three points. Pretty big momentum shift. Now, that put him down 21-20. Eventually, they took the lead 23-21 and eventually lose 24-23. But if you get seven there and take the lead, I think that football game's over. Yep. Great point. All right, Redskins up next on the road in the nation's capital. The Redskins have won three in a row. They're three and two. First division game for the Eagles. Everybody else in the NFC East has played two division opponents. The Eagles have not yet played a division team. The Redskins have owned the Eagles recently in big games. you got to think that some of those Eagles players, returning players, owe these guys. They want to owe these guys and pay them back. Jordan Reed, questionable had concussion symptoms this week in practice. He had five concussions in his career in college at Florida. He hasn't had the best season yet. If he doesn't play, huge matchup advantage for the Eagles. But overall, Washington playing better football, still giving up a ton of points. Uh, On average, 122 over five games. I think the Eagles got to win the turnover battle, establish a running game, control the clock, that time of possession game, and force the Redskins to become one-dimensional. You can do that. I think they have a chance to get back on track. This is a huge game for the Philadelphia Eagles. Maybe bigger than for the Washington Redskins. I know the Skins, you know, they don't want to be 3-3. Three and three, But if the Eagles lose in Washington, then they go home to play the 5-0 and Minnesota Vikings coming off a bye. And I know it's Sam Bradford coming back. And I know the fans will be jacked up. But that is one hell of a defense. This is a huge game for the Philadelphia Eagles. They have to show they can respond. They have to make some adjustments and come out and play with some passion. They have to dominate in the first half of this football game. And I'll leave you with one stat, Johnny Mito, before I turn it over to you. Teams that start 4-1 and one since 1990, okay? Since 1990, you start 4-1, 76% of the time you make the playoffs. 105 of the 138 teams that start 4-1 and one since 1990 make the postseason. Start 4-1, and one, Philadelphia Eagles. Jeez, that's a great stat that you pulled out of nowhere, Joe. I love it. Uh, you made some really valid points. Uh, you talked about Jordan Reed, concussion, killed the Eagles last year, had like 130 yards and two touchdowns. Don't think he's going to go. His career might be in jeopardy. That's a big plus for the Eagles, considering the linebackers right now have been a little lax in coverage via AKA Michael Kendricks. Yeah, your um, boy. They, they, Oh, God. He's just been horrendous this year. I don't know what's going on. He complains about not being in the rotation. But when you're on the football field, my man, you got to start making some plays. Hey, hang on. Um, Real quick on the rotation. Because there was talk after the uh, game, Jim Schwartz saying, well, I want, the plan was to rotate, rotate these guys. Keep them fresh. You just came off a bye week, Jim Schwartz. I'm not buying this rotation, keep guys fresh. Nigel Bradham didn't play in the first half because you thought he was a bonehead. Uh, you know, had a bonehead of maneuver. You called him a dumbass in a press conference because of the gun incident. So let's just call yeah. a spade a spade. It was a boneheaded maneuver by Nigel Bradham, and his punishment was to basically sit out the first half. That's fine. That's a team decision. I don't think any fan in Philadelphia will question that. But don't give me this rotation nonsense. We want to see Stephen Tullick more. Coming off a bye, these guys are fresh. You should have your best defense on the field. And if one of those best defenders was an idiot the week before, then he pays the price and he hurt the team. Yeah, good points, good points. Yeah, I mean, to get back to the game, I think I think defensively they have to make a stand. They got to put the defensive line. Here's the deal. Like, Stafford was pretty clean all throughout the first half, and he was able to put, pick them apart. 
Also, you notice with Jim Schwartz's kind of Y9 scheme, what makes them vulnerable, that type of scheme, scheme we got killed on screen passes. Yep. Detroit just gouged us with some heavy screens. So the defensive line's got to step up. they got to put pressure. And listen, Jim Schwartz might need to change up his philosophy. If he's not able to get pressure with the front four, then you got to start sending some stickies. Then you got to start sending some backers. I know there's injury in the secondary Lewis McCalvin. He hasn't shown much this year anyway. Let Jalen Mills, the rookie, you know, play. So, but I think it's crucial that we see more of a rotation of the running backs. I mean, look at how effective Kenyon Barner, Wendell Smallwood. When Ryan, Ryan Matthews got dinged up, it seemed like when we got other running backs the opportunity in there, and that's going to be huge. The other big question that you didn't address is, what is the chemistry going to be like on the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, knowing now that Lane Johnson has been suspended for 10 games for his PDU? Yeah, great point. Now they're going to start right tackle. I'm not even going to give you his whole entire name. They're going to call him Big V, just like all the media has. But the question is, everybody thought they might move Alan Barber, the left guard, out to right tackle and maybe put Steve, uh, Stefan Wisniewski and at the guard position, they feel like that would weaken two positions. Let's see what this rookie has. Uh, he was a fifth-round pick at a TCU. They said they feel very comfortable with him due to the fact that he was going up against the Eagles starters, the scout team, uh, during practices all throughout the first three weeks of the season. That's going to be an interesting matchup. He's got to go against Ryan Kerrigan. Ryan Kerrigan is one of the best outside pass rushers in all of football. So, that's going to be a huge test. The play calling is going to be, but the defense needs to bring it early because, in my opinion, they let the offense down, whereas the offense is kind of, you know, held up their end of the bargain. The defense has got to come up big in the turnover battle and, uh, you know, just punish them. Just remember that Washington Redskins embarrassed you in primetime last year. If that's not enough to get you up for this football game, and like you pointed to it, Joe, look at the road ahead. They get the Vikings. They're going to have Green Bay coming. They're going to have Atlanta who's playing lights out. They still have to go on the road to Seattle. They have to play at Baltimore and Cincinnati. And that's not and we didn't even bring up the division opponents yeah. playing Dallas twice, playing the Giants twice. I mean, their schedule right now, Las Vegas has it ranked number one moving forward as the hardest schedule. They're giving the Eagles only a 45% chance to make the playoffs this year. So this is a crucial game for the Birds. I think they're going to find a way to get it done, but they've got to short some things up. And let's see how Carson wins. I, I'm kind of glad he kind of got that interception out of the way. There's a lot of pressure. Will he be able to break Brady's record? It's out of the way. I do like the mentality. I don't know if I would have gone down the field and trusted Nelson Aguilar to come up and make a big play, but you got to love that gunslinger mentality. That's what made some of the great quarterbacks in this game that's given them their mark. So let's just see what they do this week. Hopefully the play calling, the scheme's right, and uh, we can go 4-1 and bring on Sammy Sleeves in the Minnesota Vikings. All right, let's step aside here on the Brotherly Love podcast, but first we need to review last week's question. The things you hate about okay. Pittsburgh. Couple of emails, brotherly love podcast at yahoo.com, brotherly love podcast at yahoo.com. Uh, Wood chiming in, tunnels. This is no particular order. Steelers Bumblebee throwbacks. Van Dam oh, movie God. Van Dam movie Sudden Death. 
And last but not least, Darius Kasparitis. Also, wow. hearing uh, from Joe O'Donnell Sr., if you will. My pop's checking in. Said it's tough to trash the right. city with so many titles and cups in the trophy cabinet, but it's sure is sweet to send them back up the turnpike after whipping like that last game. So chime in, Brotherly like Love that. Podcast at Yahoo.com, Brotherly Love Podcast at Yahoo.com. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Don't forget to uh, subscribe on iTunes as well. This week's question, my friends, over under for the Eagles' win total is nine. What are you taking and why? All right. What over am I? under? No, no. For, for the, hey, 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 hey. This is for the, for the peeps. This is for the peeps, uh, brother. We got plenty to talk right, about, you and I. Over under on the birds, nine win total. Email us. Let us know what you think. We'll try and roll some out for the next episode. All right, with that, we'll take a timeout. Brotherly Love Podcast. When we come back, talking some puck, little hockey NHL kicking off tonight. We got our rant and a little twist to our on the fly segment. That and more after this. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast exclusively on SoundCloud.com. We are back on the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Love Podcast. Joe Donald, John Mita here with you. Talk birds in the first segment. Time to switch gears and hit the ice. The National Hockey League is back with a vengeance tonight. Handful of games on the docket. The Flyers kick off their season. Not tonight, but, well, before you know it, my friend, the orange and black, back at it. Second year under Dave Haxtell. Let's talk Flyers' expectations here for a minute, Johnny Mita. Uh, wh- where do you stand on the Fly guys after, a, uh, in, in the eyes of many, probably a surprising playoff appearance last year. Kind of had them in that final spot for a playoff uh, opportunity a season ago. It sort of came to fruition. They lost to the Caps in round one. But I'm expecting growth in year two under Haxtell. You? Absolutely. I mean, I would say that I think towards the end of the season, you kind of, you can see that the whole team is kind of buying into what, you know, Coach Haxel was bringing to the table. And due to the fact that they're bringing up a couple young rookies, I was announced that Travis Konecki and Ian Provorov are going to make the opening day roster. I think that's another great infusion of some youth and talent that this hockey team desperately needs, especially on the defensive end. For years, obviously, we saw what Gossip Bear brought to the table last year was amazing. But if we could get another killer type defenseman, I think that will do wonders. And uh, it's exciting. They definitely overachieved last year because of how hard they played. But I think we also need we need some guys to step up their game, Joe. And I think this this is a signature year for a guy like Claude Giroux, man. He's got to take emphasis of trying to become more of a sniper. I know he loves to pass the puck, and he's phenomenal at it. But I think he needs to get a little more edge and just bring it a little harder and take some more shots on goal. He Sometimes he's just too unselfish. And a lot of times you love seeing that out of players. But when you're kind of coined as the superstar of the team, he's a captain. I think you need to – he's the captain. You're right. You got to assume that role and, and step up to the plate. And a guy like Jake Borchek, 
who kind of had a down year after he was coming off a, a real good year the year before. He's another guy that has to step up. This team needs these two guys to score over 30 goals. They just have to have it from them. So it's a big year for them. I can't wait to see these two young kids play as long as the other talent and the Flyers basically, you know, their minor league system. And and I would love to see them get out of the first round this year. I don't know if that's going to happen, but it would just be a great sign of growth for this team moving forward. I think the expectation should be 90 to 95 points and battling for home ice in the first round. I think that needs to be the expectation. You have to take the next step. I love your point about Giroux and Voracek. They need to go to the net more. They need to be hungrier to be finishers, to be snipers, as you put it. Um, I think that Braden Shen can take that next step. What we saw from Braden Shen in the playoffs when he was the Flyers' best player and it was not even close, you know, that that needs to be an 82-game type of effort from Braden Shen. Uh, Matt Reed, where's Matt Reed been the last couple of years after really exploding onto the scene? Uh, Sean Couturier, a guy that was unfortunately injured in round one, and that was a big loss for the Flyers. So it'll be interesting to see how this team develops under Dave Haxall, but I really think 90 to 95 points is what you're looking at. Hopefully, you know, an opportunity to, to not be a wild card team, maybe have home ice in the first round. I think goaltending is going to be a strength of this hockey team. Uh, when you look at Mason, obviously, and then the year that Neuvert had, uh, especially the playoff performance, if they can get anything similar from Michael Neuvert like they did last year, I think this team's going to be really strong between the pipes. You mentioned the youth, Gosses Bear, Provorov, the young defensemen. They have a ton of talent coming through the system. It's going to be growing together as a group, the chemistry as a group, and they've got a fiery you know, up-and-coming head coach. So I think this is a team that's certainly maybe not going to be talked about with some of the powerhouses, the Pittsburghs and the Washingtons, et cetera, in the Eastern Conference. But I don't see any reason why they can't compete with them. And, and here's the other thing. And this, I don't know how much this could be talked, being talked about, but Flyers open Friday night at Staples Center against the Kings. Then they play Saturday in Phoenix. Then Tuesday in Chicago. That's a good five, six-day road trip for this group early in the year. Coaches love to be on the road early in seasons. Because you get guys away from their homes and their families. You get them together on the road for meals and hotels and the bus rides to the rink. And that is absolutely huge for building early season chemistry. Trust me. It, it, it will. They may not have a lot of success against some tough opponents. You know, you're looking at recent Stanley Cup champions at the Kings, at the Blackhawks, the Coyotes, you know, back-to-back there to start the season, L.A., Phoenix. But trust me. Getting on the road early will benefit this team long-term as they look to come together after a long training camp, and they're looking to you know, stop playing against each other, stop playing these preseason games with a revolving roster, get their core group together on the road for a few days, and get after it. So really excited about the Flyers season, the NHL season kicking off. I'll have more on that in my rant coming up in just a couple of minutes. Johnny Mita, chance now to... Have our on-the-fly segment with a little twist. On the fly, you don't know the question I'm asking you and vice versa, but this one's going to be a little different. It's kind of like a pick one um, or a pick two. All right, so I got a question for you, and it's it's a uh, it's an A or B. You ready? Give it to me. All right. Who are you taking right now to be your quarterback, Carson Wentz or Dak Prescott? Carson Wentz. And you could say that... I'm an absolute homer, but this guy, just the way that he goes through 
well, first of all, his work ethic is like any other. And I don't think the spotlight's too big for him. He seems like a grounded, humble kid that just wants to get better. He's very coachable. But I, I just see more potential in Carson Wentz. And I just think he has that. He's a combination of everything. Has Dak played unbelievable this year? Absolutely. Is he a guy that I wanted the Eagles to look at in the draft if they were unable to move up? Like they were actually, they were able to move up and get Carson Wentz. But I thought if like, you know, they were trying to get a quarterback in the third round, Dak was a guy that I would love the Eagles to take a look at just because I liked everything that he brought to the table at Mississippi State. But for me, Carson Wentz, because some of the throws that this guy makes, Joe, he's fearless. I'm, I'm taking Carson Wentz. Man. All right. I'm ready for yours. All right. Okay. If you had to pick one or the other, what would you rather have? The offensive line of the Dallas Cowboys or the offense of the Pittsburgh Steelers? <laughs> well, interesting how we both brought the Cowboys into this, unbeknownst <laughs> to one another. Uh, look, normally I would say a big play offense – is great for now, and in December and January, it doesn't work. But as I stated last podcast, I think when you add D'Angelo Williams, Le'Veon Bell, and the intangibles and the moxie of a hate-the-face Big Ben Roethlisberger, uh, I think that offense is just, it's, I don't want to say unstoppable, the Eagles beat them 34-3. to freaking three. But look, they're a team that offensively can beat you so many ways, can hit you so many ways, Yes, they seem to live for the big play. Sammy Coates has, what, like five or six grabs for more than 50 yards. Antonio Brown, best wide receiver in football, not named Julio Jones. I mean, they can do it so many different ways. Cowboys offensive line, yeah, whatever. I'm going Steelers offense, hands down. Yeah, all because right. Because look, I like it. what did the Cowboys do rushing the football last year? Right? No DeMarco Murray when they went with Darren McFadden and, and – whoever the hell else they had, Joseph Randall, whatever their their little three-headed monster was last year running the ball, they didn't light it up. So if their line's that great, you and I could run behind it. I'm not so sure that's the case. I'll take the Steelers' offense. All right, good deal. All right, you want to rant first or me? Yeah, let me go first. All right, go ahead, brother. All right, we all know what how crazy this presidential election has become. The cheap shot, the back and forth. It's a comedy ring. It's it's total embarrassment. Recently, Donald Trump got caught up on a tape where he made some disparaging comments about women and the treatment of women. And I'm not telling you right now that I thought what he said was good. Do I think it was right? No. But when NBA players come out on Twitter and come out and say that their locker rooms don't talk like that, that they've never spoken like uh, about women and, and a bad writer talking about how they can use their power to get with women. That's just ridiculous. So I think somebody needs to call these guys out on it because you can go into any locker room or you go anywhere. And there's guys, you go to a club, oh, look at that club. It goes on all the time. The Donald just got caught red-handed, okay, which is fine, but – Come on, NBA players. Let's not be hypocrites now. You can't tell me how many players in the league have been caught for sexual assault. Look at all athletes in general. How many times have they used their power to get out of things like this, a.k.a. Ben Roethlisberger? 
All right, Greg Hardy with the domestic abuse. So when I hear they talk about that it's just, there's no such thing, like our locker rooms, we don't talk about women that way. Like, come on, fellas, give me a break. You know, you guys are all males. I'm not saying it's right. It's bad to talk about women. And I wouldn't want them talking about it if I had a daughter. But at the same time, like you said before, Joseph, let's call a spade a spade. And, uh, you know, you can take the Twitter and say that, but I got to be honest with you, I don't believe a word that any of you guys say when you're talking about locker room fodder. Now, I missed some of this. Very, very well said. Give me a player or two that was that was outspoken uh, condemning Trump. Notable guys? Well, are we I'm, talking mid-market guys? Who are we talking? It's a little bit of both. It's LeBron. I mean, it was just Twitter blew up over it. It was just... I can't even tell you the names. I was just like, come on, fellas. Like, yeah. I mean, you can't say they never wanted to get with some girl or this is what they did to some woman or some groupie. Like, like I'm sorry. That stuff goes on all the time. Does it make it right? No. But to just kill a guy, which he deserved to be killed for what he did. I get it. But to just come out and say that, oh, man, we never talk like that. Oh, yeah, you just talked about, oh, that girl looks lovely. You know, I would love to bring her some flowers, maybe take her on a candlelight dinner, and let's go fighting. Oh, I'm sure that's exactly how it goes down in those types of professional athlete settings with these women. Come on, man. That's the ultimate come on, man. All right, man, let me wrap things up here. Here's my rant. All All right, right. National, National Hockey League kicked off tonight. So, Austin Matthews did something tonight that no other player has ever done in the history of the National Hockey League. Not Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux or Gordie Howe or Steve Eiserman or Yager or Messier. Not Rocket Richard or Brett Hull. Austin Matthews scored four goals tonight. Austin freaking Matthews scored four goals tonight in his NHL debut for the Maple Leafs on the road, no less, in O Ottawa against the Senators. The expectations were high to begin with. Number one overall pick, hockey hotbed like Toronto. Now, look, Matthews isn't your normal rookie. He's not your normal number one overall pick. He played professionally last year overseas. All right, he's still young, still his first year in the NHL. He's not some you know twenty eight year old rookie, but he had a little bit of pro experience. He played in the World Cup of Hockey, so he's coming in a bit more tested, a bit more battle-tested, a bit more seasoned, all right? But Austin Matthews tonight just absolutely raised the bar, which was already sky high. And, and then on top of that, he raised it a little more. I mean, are you kidding me? Four goals in his NHL debut. The Leafs won 5-4 in overtime. I mean, this kid, uh, Toronto's going to be rioting in the streets with excitement over this kid, all right? It's going to be a fun ride watching this young star and all of this this tale unfold in Toronto. Uh, and that's really the beauty of the NHL today. Young stars in a game that's getting faster every season. Just look at the under-24 North American team in the World Cup. The team everybody was talking about, the team everybody was pulling for. The game is in a great place right now. From Connor McDavid to Jack Eichel to Dylan Larkin and now Austin Matthews. That doesn't even factor in guys like Goss Bear or, or any of the other stars around the league. The young goaltenders that come in and, and immediately steal the show. Uh, it's unbelievable. The NHL should grow. In fact, it must grow for the good of the game because these young stars are leading the charge. And damn, is it going to be fun to watch. Yeah, I think uh, I was just reading on my phone, dude. Uh, awesome, man. The first two shots he scored? Yeah. 
First two goals came on his first two shots. Yeah. That's pretty absurd. Yeah, four goals, NHL debut. Trust me, the game's in a good spot, man. Years to come, these guys are going to be absolute terrors for defensemen and goaltenders of opposing teams. All right, love it. All right, blow on out of here. Prediction. Yeah, prediction. What do you got? What do you got? I got the Eagles in a blowout, 35 to 13. I love it. I got the Eagles 63 to 6. (laughs) (laughs) Look, run the football. (laughs) Control the clock. Caleb Sturgis has been drilling kicks from 50-plus yards. Let's put some points up on these clowns and send the pigskins Home on happy. Go birds. I love it. All right, Johnny made it. Good stuff, brother. Always, buddy. Always. Always a pleasure. SoundCloud.com, iTunes. Keep it real. Till next time, Brotherly Love Podcast. We'll see. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.